beginning, I think. <laughs> I, uh, this has been quite a journey the last few weeks just preparing this. Am I breaking up a lot? No, you're fine. It's okay. You're great. It sounds weird to me. So. It sounds weird when you're up there. Yeah, it does. Uh, and just real quick, I want to say a prayer. And just, Lord, you have been my guide through looking at, at this in the last few weeks. You have shown me some beauty that I didn't know existed in my life. And now I ask that you take my words uh, and you reach whoever you want to reach with those. That this is for you. I'm sharing this for you and for your glory. And I just, I pray that, that you're in the center of, of this today, uh, that we can feel your presence throughout this message amen okay i want to start out with talking about uh jen shared a lot with us in the last couple weeks on how to do this and one of the uh verses that she used i want to use and it's why tell my story you know why why even bring any of this up uh and she, Mark 5.19 stood out to me. And it says, Christ is saying, he has, uh, he's talking to, to this man that has uh, had demons. He's been demon-possessed. And he's wanting to get on the boat with Jesus. And Jesus is sending him back home. And Jesus says to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. So that's why I'm doing this. You are my people. And uh, even when I'm in Colorado, you're still going to be my people. <laughs> okay. So prior to my birth, I, I want to talk a little bit about that. And, and I feel like God's giving me permission to do this, and I'm not... I, I don't want to be this an inventory of my parents at all. It's, it's just facts that are there, and, and what they did was, all of that had an effect on me before I got here, without me knowing it. Uh, my mother was 28, and my father was 50 when I was born. Prior to this, and this is something I did not know till I was in my late 30s. Prior to that, my parents had had an affair. My father was married at the time. My mother had been married, but she was divorced. And I was what came of that affair. My father had been married for over 20 years. Now, in 1944, this was looked on much differently than it is today. It was very judgmental and very harsh. Uh, my mother was taken to court along with my father by his wife and, and a lot of shaming went on. Uh, I learned this from my aunt 
after my mother's death, I, I went to her and I said, my mom has told me about this and now I'd like to know more. And so she shared with me how she saw it affecting them. And uh, it was very shaming for my mother. It was very shaming. Uh, my father was guilt-ridden. He felt that it was all his fault. And so he was carrying that. Uh, my mother went through great anxiety all through my, her pregnancy because she was in court dealing with this. And she was also living with the fear that her daughter would be considered illegitimate. Back then, when you were born, if your parents were not married, they put illegitimate on your birth certificate. And so you carried that for the rest of your life. She had a fear that they weren't going to be able to get married in time and I was going to have that label. The crazy part is, I took that label anyway. You know, it just, it just happened. Even though it wasn't written down, it was, it, it, that's how it felt. Uh, when I was born, put the picture of me and mom up there. Yeah, that's me and my mama. Uh, you know, through this, this last few weeks, I've learned how much I love these two people. Uh, I don't think I ever felt that as strong as I felt that. Uh, but we look like a pretty ordinary mama and baby, you know. Uh, you would have never known by looking at that picture what my mother had just gone through. And what I think I probably went through with her because whatever she was feeling, she was carrying me when she was feeling it. And so uh, I was born May 14th, 1944. They had told my dad that I would be born dead, that they believed I was already gone, uh, and they, they weren't sure my mother was going to make it. Uh, however, we both did. And that's one of the first places that I want to say God was there, you know. Through all of that had already happened, that could have easily been true. But it wasn't. Uh, and the mistake I thought I was for years, today I know I wasn't a mistake at all because God went to great lengths for me to survive. Okay, show the next one. That's me as a toddler. I'm about Unilisa's age. You look like. And I'm, when I first saw how she was doing you know Lisa's hair I thought I really like that and then I looked at this and I thought oh okay <laughs> uh, but uh, I look like a happy baby and I think for the most part I was there was a lot of underlying stuff but I, th I think that uh, my mother I think she was trying very hard to give me a uh, a happy life. Next one. 
I'm about three or four years old here. I am have I've become very, very timid to the point that my mother has taken me to a counselor uh, to try to get me out of some of that. Uh, I was paralyzingly timid and I had started having panic attacks. And uh, so I remember, I remember that counselor. I didn't like him very much. I remember that. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember somebody telling me that he was actually a surgeon that practiced counseling children on the side. That may be why I felt like I just had surgery. <laughs> but but uh, I can remember him being quite intimidating, you know, and and he was telling me, and I, and I can still see that finger going, saying, it's all in your head. These panic attacks are all in your head. Well, the, I knew that, you know, at that age even. I knew it was up here, but I didn't know what to do about it, you know, and being shamed did not help it made it worse and the harder i tried to not have a panic attack the farther i went into the panic attack you know and so at three years old i'm having panic attacks that my panic attacks had begun the next one that's me when i start kindergarten and i was scared to death i had very little contact with other children I don't know if there just weren't other children in the neighborhood or what happened, but I just, there weren't any. And I didn't have any brothers or sisters. So, so uh, I, I was, I, I didn't know how to be with children. Uh, so I was struggling with that and a great fear that my mother was going to leave me and not come back after me. Uh, one day she was late and by the time that she got there, I was in the middle of a panic attack because I just was sure that she had decided she didn't want me anymore. There was just always this undercurrent of something wasn't right. What was it? What's not right about me? So, you know, it was obviously it's me. I'm not right, you know. That's, that's what is going on. So, I get into school and throughout grade school I struggled. I had very little playing with other children at, at recess. I usually would stand back in the corner. I might make one friend during the year, but never more than one friend. Uh, and so I kind of lived like that in that my parents at that time didn't communicate much. Uh, we didn't communicate in our family. And one of the things that we didn't do at all was hug each other. That just didn't happen. And now when I look back, I think it was probably all the pain and stuff. And my parents struggled to be together and the guilt and the, had caused that inability to, to be physically affectionate with each other. And so, I, uh, I can remember uh, sitting at the feet of my dad uh, because he wouldn't let me sit on his lap. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure why that was, but he, 
he would say, uh, no, that we, we mustn't do that. You, and, and he would tell me to sit on the floor next to him. Well, also on the floor next to him was his beer. I was a little girl destined for addiction. You know. Uh, I do not believe that alcoholism is addictive or drug addiction is addictive. What I do believe is the tendency for addiction can be. And my behaviors in that area started about this age. I was introduced, first of all, to food. My grandmother loved food. And she was babysitting me, and so anytime I would cry about anything, she'd give me ice cream. <laughs> Which did make me feel better. She'd say, this will make you feel better. And sure enough, the ice cream made me feel better for a little while, you know. And, and uh, so that was her solution to, to, to crying, was eat something, and, and you'll feel better. Uh, then my father was a daily evening drinker. Uh, he had rules about hours that he drank, which is fairly typical in alcoholism at some stages, is those rules get really rigid. And so he only drank after five o'clock when he got off work. Uh, he would let me, he believed that you taught a child to if you taught a child how to drink, then when they got older, they would not be a drunk. And, and he didn't want me to be a drunk. And so he would let me have the foam on the beer. The foam, when you're five years old, is plenty to feel it. You know, and I'd feel that peace would come over me from that beer. And that felt good because I didn't know that any other time. I didn't even know I could feel that way. And so I liked, I liked what that, that, that foam on that beer did. I remember him jokingly saying a few years later, because of this child, I drink a lot of dead beers. That what he was saying was I was shaking them up to get more foam so I could drink the foam. <laughs> Because I knew I was allowed to have the phone. Not the beer, just the phone. Well, there's plenty of alcohol in the phone. You know? <laughs> so uh, I, I was feeling, I was feeling that. And, and uh, then junior high came. I don't know what my next picture is. Oh, this is your... Oh, yes. Somewhere along the line, and this was in 1953, so I would say I was nine years old, I went to Bible school at the First Christian Church. And yes, the First Christian Church that's down there is the one I went to. <laughs> you know, yes, it's still standing, and it looks rather modern, you know, <laughs> for as old as it is. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 my mom would take me to Bible school. And I remember her pulling up on Franklin Street. Uh, that was where I went in, and there was the kids. It was right there, right inside that door was where we, where we met. And I remember her saying, you need this. This will be good for you. 
and and uh, so I very unwillingly went to Bible school so that is an antique piece of paper from First Christian Church <laughs> Yes. Okay. The bathing beauty. Went to middle school, and in middle school, I discovered something else that made me feel good. Boys. Boys made me feel really, really good. They said nice things to you, you know, and they were cute. And uh, so, so I decided, yeah, I, I liked boys. Uh, I was in the ninth grade when this picture was taken. So I was about 13, maybe 14, no, 14, I'd say, 14 or 15. Uh, we had a, here's another piece of history from Columbus. <laughs> Donner Park used to have a great swimming team. Our swimming team was actually the Columbus High School Bullfrogs, who at that time were top in the state. And, and so that was Donner Park's swimming team was a big deal. And in order to get the money for that, they had a queen contest. And uh, the different uh, clubs and stuff would, would sponsor a girl. My dad was an optimist, uh, had been a part of the optimist club for a long time. And so that's how I ended up running for Aqua Queen. Uh, how you got to be the queen was how much money you managed to get. You know, it had nothing to do with anything about you. <laughs> Other than the coins that went in, into to your containers. And so I ended up with third place. Uh, and... Uh, was, I, you know, I, I looked at these pictures and I never thought of myself as being an attractive young person. But now I look at him and I go, you were. Yeah, Judy, you're gorgeous. But I saw myself as the total opposite of that. Uh, I thought I was extremely fat in that picture. Yeah. I wasn't fat. <laughs> I wasn't thin, but I certainly wasn't fat. But, you know, that was a big deal for me, running for Aqua Queen. Uh, because, uh, you know, I still had a lot of that shyness in me. I was starting to come out of it, but, but not totally. Uh, right after that, I went into high school. Uh, sophomore year was high school. Uh, we, ninth grade was still junior high back then, so ninth grade was high school uh, I went through high school with uh, partying having boyfriends uh, and getting by by the skin of my teeth <laughs> uh, now I hate that because and and part of that might have been that my mom didn't think I was very smart uh, I don't know, maybe I didn't act very smart at the time, but she didn't, and, but she would tell me, you know, you, you, honey, you're not 
you're not as smart as others. And so I acted that way. I now know probably I could have made A's if I'd if I'd have been encouraged and you know, if if I had but she didn't know to do that. My faith in God uh, was a My father, I have no idea, I, to this day, I have no idea what his relationship was with God. My mother, I know. I know we had a Bible on our table. It was one of the knickknacks that you dusted off once a week, you know. But I never saw anybody pick it up and open it up. You know, and I didn't even know you were supposed to do that. You know, that that's what, that was the purpose of a Bible. Uh, my mother believed, and I know she believed this, you know, because she wouldn't have told it to me had she not believed it. She believed that everything you did wrong in your life was put on a list and before you go to heaven you have to face that list with everything on it in front of god even at that age that was terrifying to me you know uh and later on of course the older i got the worse it gotten and and the farther away i moved from god uh so I graduated from high school and I went to beauty school and I became a hairdresser. And at age 19, I got married. Uh, I got married because I thought I was going to be an old maid. Uh, and that was a lot of the thoughts, thinking at that time was, you know, if you got to be 20 and you were a girl and you weren't married, something was wrong and you probably were going to be an old maid. And there I am. That's my uh, announcement, yeah, my engagement to uh, my first husband. Uh, that's also my high school class picture, senior class picture. Uh, but we got married when I was 19 years old. Uh, we were married for five years, and we had one child. You've met him. That's Brad. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I, I remember thinking, I, I knew that my marriage was terribly wrong. Uh, our, our mothers were good friends, and they encouraged us to start writing when he was in the military. And, and uh, it just seemed like once he got home, it just boomeranged everything. And before either one of us knew it, we were married, you know, and, uh, and both of us were still mentally and emotionally children. Uh, about three years into my marriage, I decided I know what's wrong with my marriage. I need to have a baby. And if I have a baby, I always had this, if this happens, then everything will be okay. I wanted to live happily ever after because Walt Disney said so, you know. <laughs> Walt Disney said that she lives happily ever after, you know. And I wanted to live happily ever after. And, and so I was constantly looking for that thing that was going to make me okay. And my marriage okay. Well, 
a new child that that will not help your marriage uh, and and it certainly didn't in this case and we grew farther apart and when Brad was two we divorced uh, now comes a, a harder part to talk about um, between my two marriages I had another child uh, out of wedlock history repeats itself <laughs> and it did for me bad choices uh, feeling insecure wanting something to make me okay and uh, so I, I had an affair and I got pregnant and I was terrified right from the beginning because this gentleman was was uh, was black he was african-american and I knew it was 1968 and racial stuff was at the peak uh, you weren't even it wasn't even okay to be caught talking to the opposite sex of another co color at that time you know and that was never verbalized to me but I knew it you know I knew that rule there's some rules that never have to be said we just know that's a rule you know and I dearly I this man was a precious friend of mine and had been for a long time I played with him and his his uh, sisters when he when they were kids we lived like four blocks apart and I would sneak over there and play with them and uh, so I liked I liked his family a lot but here I am and I've got to to deal with this and I'm afraid to tell anybody I don't trust anyone I don't care who you are I don't trust you with this information because I don't know what you're going to do and I've got this precious life inside of me and I don't know what's going to happen to that life you know so I did not say anything to anybody and he was born on Easter morning uh, in 1968 uh, my mother recognized right away that uh, this was an issue and uh, when he was eight days old uh, she had a social worker and a Baptist minister come and take him away from me telling me you know and 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 I know that probably some of what they were saying might have been true at that time like he'd have a better chance with if he wasn't with me and and that might have been true at the time because of all the racial stuff that was going on in the world at that time just 10 days before he was born Martin Luther King was killed so that's how the that's what it was like so 
they walked out with him and that was my first time to really reach out to God I uh, I just collapsed on the floor and I started praying you know I think that there's a part of us that knows God even when we don't know we know God yeah and uh, and that was the part of me that was praying you know please please Take my son someplace where he'll be with people that love him. Please just do that. Just do that. For the next 14 years, I didn't know what had happened to him. I'd been told he was taken out of state to make sure that I would not see him again. And, and I believed that. Uh, and that was what was supposed to happen. But, you know, God was in this. You know. Even though everybody was trying to manipulate this situation, God was in it. And God was taking care of things. Uh, a year later, I got married again. Because that's what you do. <laughs> you know? It's like... Uh, I thought that was, you know, I was looking, I, again, I'm looking, I'm searching for the thing that's going to make me okay. And so I, uh, I marry Mike, who was my husband for 28 years. Uh, we met in a bar. That's a great place to meet your husband, <laughs> you know, to be. Especially if he spends a lot of time in bars. I was told by a woman that was like a mother to him, that was very concerned about him, that he was an alcoholic. Well, I didn't know what, it, what that meant, you know. I liked alcohol. I drank. My dad drank every day. But he wasn't an alcoholic, <laughs> you know. I had no idea. What, what that meant. But what I, my thinking was, yeah, but, you know, he's 30 years old and he doesn't have a wife and a family. But once he has that, then everything's going to be fine. And he's going to be okay. And we're going to live happily ever after. So we get married. Uh, Things started getting crazy right away because his his drinking was really heavy at that time, and uh, so he he had gotten within the first couple years we were married uh, put in jail a couple times, and and I was totally unfamiliar with jail and going to jail and 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 just couldn't believe this was happening. My mother said, Judy there's something you're doing wrong here because if you just become a better wife then he won't drink anymore so okay it's my fault that he's drinking you know and if I just do something better then we're going to be okay well we weren't okay but in the process I had two more children Angie and Kevin 
there's my family. Look at that hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a hairdresser. <laughs> yes, that's Brad and and Mike next to him, and Kevin sitting between me and Mike, and Angie is on the end. And that was my that was my family that I raised. Uh, we struggled off and on. Mike's drinking got worse. Uh, he eventually was just practically living at this bar after work every day. And so my decision was that, okay, I'm going to get my husband back, so I'm going to the bar too. That was a huge mistake. Because I was taking myself to a place where I was going to be drinking something that made me feel like I was okay, but in the end was going to be deadly. That's the bottom line. Uh, my life became chaos. Uh, well, all of our lives became chaos. When a parents are living in this chaos, all those kids are living in the chaos too. Yeah. And that's why, and, and I know that some of you guys get so tired of me saying, you know, I get excited about how you're raising your children. You know, I get excited that you've got them in church and that you're in church and that you're teaching them that. You know, I remember how excited I got when Quinn shared that they read Christian books together as a family and I thought that's wonderful I never dreamed that you know that families did things like that it's like living in another world I didn't know this world existed you know we say that a third world third world countries and that's where we need to go and that's where we need to third world country can be living right next door to you I'm talking about a third world country that's on the inside. Not necessarily what you're getting to eat or what you're wearing on your back, but what is in the emptiness inside. That big, gapy hole that I had in me for years. That's, that's, that's living in a third world country without God. God was with me even though I didn't know it, you know. And uh, eventually Mike got bad enough that uh, Cummins Engine Company said, we want to keep you, you've been with us a long time, but you have to go to treatment if you want to stay. And so he went to treatment. Uh, he had had an accident right before that, and that's what really brought everything to a head is, is the accident that he'd had. And uh, he came home a different person. Uh, he was there for 30 days and he came home and he was, he was sober. And he was getting involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was going to a few meetings with him. Uh, and I was glad that he was sober, but I was also lost because I was still, I hadn't had treatment or 
counseling or anything. And so I was still lost. And for the next two years, he maintained his sobriety. He got extremely involved in Alcoholics Anonymous to help him to stay sober. And he watched me deteriorate. Uh, my last time to drink, I had been out with a couple girlfriends and I came home. I don't remember coming home. I woke up the next morning and I went out into the hallway and I heard my kids talking about that they were scared for me. They, they were scared that I was going to get killed out there, that I was going to die. And that hit me really, really hard. And I went back in my bedroom, and for the next time, I reached out to God. I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I got this way. I don't want to be like this. I want my life to be different. And so God just showed me what to do. By that evening, I was in the treatment center that my husband had gone to. And I was there for 30 days. When I came home, we both were involved at that time in AA. I got to know a different God in AA. I have a great deal of love for Alcoholics Anonymous because they have, they have saved unbelievable amounts of people that were dying from alcoholism. The stories are just unbelievable. One of the things that's criticized sometimes about AA is that they aren't a Christian, considered a Christian. Uh, group, but they teach you to believe in something. They have to start somewhere, you know. At that time, I was scared to death of God, and and so slowly I started seeing people changing all around me. You know, it was amazing. You know, uh, I couldn't see that I was changing, but I could see that you were changing, you know. And your life was getting better, you know. And finally I started realizing, hey, my life's getting better too. I was told by a psychiatrist that I was not the dumb person I thought I was and that I should go to college. That just blew me away. <laughs> and uh, I became a therapist. Uh, and I did that for 25 years. I was a substance abuse therapist. I worked with people with, with alcohol and drug addictions. Uh, I worked for the county uh, court system, and, and uh, I had my, at my first day on the job, I was handed 100 files and said, there's a person that goes with every one of these files, and they're all yours. And she walked out of the door. <laughs> and I thought, what do I do? What do I do? You know, I, that mountain of files, and I just, I felt something saying to me, what you do is you take one file at a time, it has one person with it, and you share your strength and your hope with them. 
That's why you're here. You're not here for any other reason than to share with other people that are suffering from this. Well, you don't have very nice clientele because they're not happy that they've been arrested. They're not happy the judge sent them to you and they don't like you from the beginning, you know? <laughs> and so you, you start off way down here and you just have to work yourself up to being on some kind of a level to where you can communicate with each other. Uh, that was a joy, uh, getting to do that work. I loved every day I worked at that. Uh, about 14, uh, Angie was 20 years old when she, and she was at IU. And so my next crisis is about to happen. Up till then, I said, you know, the worst thing that had ever happened to me was the loss of my baby. Uh, and right before that, I had found my baby. Uh, it wasn't a planned thing. I hadn't gone searching for him, but I went to the children's home to the possibility of we were going to do treatment program there because there was a lot of addiction involved in the kids' lives that were there. And the manager of the children's home started telling me about the son he had adopted. And the longer he talked, the more I knew that it was my son that he had adopted. Uh, it just all fell into place, you know. And, but I was afraid to say anything because I thought if I tell them that, you know, I, I just, I didn't trust anybody. <laughs> so I went to my car after we had talked to this gentleman and I sat in my car and waited for the school bus to come home because I wanted to see him, you know. He called him Phil. That's what I'd named him, you know. It was like, wow, and he's the right age. This has to be my son. I saw him get off the school bus and I knew he was my son. He looks like me. <laughs> he looks a lot like me. Uh, and I knew at that moment that God had answered that prayer immediately that I prayed that so many years before. He answered that. He took that child to that couple they weren't supposed to keep him. They were supposed to take care of him till they found some place for him to go. Well, in the meantime, they fell in love with him and they didn't want to give him up. And so they were allowed to adopt him. They had to move out of the city for a period of time so they could adopt him. But they had adopted Phil and Phil had lived here all along. Was growing up with my children, you know. And he was safe and he was loved and he was loved every bit as much as I would have loved him, yeah, had he been with me. Uh, I just, I, I, I knew immediately that was a God thing, you know. I knew immediately he'd answered that. But the next problem came along. And my daughter called me from Bloomington and she says, Mother, there's something I've got to tell you. I've been in counseling for quite a while now. And I need to tell you that 
my father molested me for several years. Now this is the man I'm married to. This is her father. And she, before she said that to me, she said, I want you to promise me that whatever you do, you won't you, 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 you won't do anything. You, you just, you know, don't, don't panic, don't get upset, don't, you know. And I said, okay, because I never dreamed what she was going to tell me. And I got off the phone, and for the next four years I lived, I sat on a bomb. It felt like, you know, I sat on a bomb. Uh, eventually I couldn't set on that bomb anymore and so I ended up moving away and when I did my sons just were furious with me because I was breaking up the home and they wouldn't talk to me and Angie was away and I was pretty much alone in this apartment that I'd moved to and all of a sudden it hit me how that I was alone and again, I collapsed on the floor and just started screaming, you know. And I could feel the presence of God. It felt like something had its arms around me, you know. I felt like I was being comforted. Uh, and I knew. I knew I was going to be okay. So, uh, struggling, struggling with that, I ended up with a divorce. Uh, and my daughter had a lot of counseling, and she's doing very well now. She's a psychologist in Colorado, and uh, that's who I'm going to go be with, her and her family. Uh, this place. I had searched through many churches and in the process I managed to get myself baptized and you know doing all these things that and but I hadn't found a home a place where I felt at home. I'd go to these churches and I just I wasn't home. I came here and I felt at home right away and bless their hearts <laughs> especially Quinn and Brandon. I couldn't shut up. I was just <laughs> bubbling over <laughs> with all this stuff, you know, because I had all this experience from my life in there. And then I had all this new knowledge about God, you know, and what he'd done in my life, and I wouldn't shut up. They had a hard time doing their messages because I had my hand up. <laughs> I wanted to say something else. And they were patient with me and let me do that. Uh, let me grow up in Christ. You know, that's, I needed to grow up in my faith. And I was just like a little kid that you handed this great gift to, and I just couldn't be quiet. Many of you remember that with me, how I was at that time. Uh, today, I'm blessed beyond means with all of you, first of all. 
Shirley and Steve, uh, I feel like I'm a part of their family. You know, they've made me a part of their family. They even invited me to live with them. <laughs> uh, Eric and Jen, Jeff, Angie, Quinn and Jill, all of you, all of you have just impacted my life so much. That, and I know that I can get Rose, oh, Rose and Tim, you know. I just, many, many people uh, that have impacted my life here. I'm taking you with me to Colorado. I now have a place, uh, at least we hope so. They made an offer and, and it was accepted. So we're in the process now. And so I think probably within the next three or four weeks, I don't know exactly when I'm leaving. Uh, I want you to all come, all come and, and see me and spend time with me. Uh, I love you so much. I'm planning on having your pictures. I'm going to have a big plaque with everybody's pictures on it. So that when I start, if I get to feeling a little lonely and scared, I can look at that and remember all of you are still there. You know. I want to end this with a... Uh, Eric, it's funny, I knew I wanted some verses. But I didn't know where to find what I wanted, and I knew that, you know. And so Eric brought this one to group on Tuesday night. And when he read it, it was perfect. It was exactly what I needed to end this. And so, oh, I've got more pictures on there. just had the last one. That's my mama. That's right before she died. I look a little bit like her. <laughs> I just wanted to share that. And I think it's because I, I just feel such compassion for her today. So, uh, this is Lamentations 3, and it's verses 19 through 23. I remember my affliction and my wandering the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Thank you for listening. So if you have kids, go get your kids. But I want us to do communion. And I want Judy to hold the cup.